This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. What's up, folks, and welcome to another installment of the Keeping Carlson Short Shifts podcast. I am your host, Ben Burnett, and joining me, as always, my pal and yours, Lewis. I know we're going to talk about a lot of injuries tonight, but before we get into it, I know that there's a specific team that you may be ready to jump jump off the bandwagon for. Uh, I'm not sure I know what you're talking about. I am pretty sure that I always was Team IS, and IS has definitely never stood for Ilya Samsonov. It has always stood for Igor Shesterkin, and we have always been at war with East Asia. Yeah, tough look for uh, your boy Ilya last night in the Caps' most recent game, giving up, I believe it was four goals in the first, or five goals in the first Surrendered a 5 nothing lead to the Islanders. Holtby came in and played a good chunk of zero goal against minutes. I've definitely seen a lot of folks saying that it was not a situation where Samsonov was just like giving up soft goals, that the, the Capitals were playing like trash in front of him. But definitely not a good look for a goaltender, a young goalie who was struggling to get starts. Yeah, so my issue with it and the reason why I jumped off uh, team Samsonov is... Uh, just because it, you know, he was struggling to get starts when he was playing outstanding. And so it seems pretty clear that now that he has this kind of ding against him, you know, he might not get another start this week. Uh, I am having a hard time imagining he's going to get a start until the next back to back potentially. Uh, and that's too long for me. I'm, I'm trying to fight for my positioning, uh, in the playoffs. And so, yeah, I can't afford to keep him around in that situation, unfortunately. He really had to be sterling in order to hang in there because it was so clear that they weren't going to, uh, they weren't going to let him just, uh, hold on to a, a row of starts like maybe he had earned. Uh, so this big loss, I think, is, is definitely a black mark against him. Counterpoint. Reardon really did not seem to be concerned about blow-up games against Holtby. I don't see why he would let this one specific game influence his opinion on Ilya too, too much. I continue to see this as kind of a 1A, 1B situation. I believe we're all of the opinion that Samsonov has earned a run as the 1A, maybe less so, obviously, after his most recent performance. But I would think that he'll still get, you know, one out of every three starts here for the next little stretch. Well, yeah, and I think that is kind of his ceiling right now, uh, mm. given that last game. And I, it, for me, it was a situation where I cannot afford to have someone burning a hole in my roster to maybe play one game a week. 
Yeah, and given the schedule this week, you definitely have to assume that Holtby will get the start against Colorado on Thursday, and probably if he doesn't get absolutely decimated in that game, start against the Coyotes. So I think that you're right. Team Samsonov is off for now. You got to be dropping him if you're in a one year league, and if maybe Holtby has a blow up game on Thursday, maybe at that point it's time to reevaluate. But yeah, it's tough to hold on to a goalie who's essentially you're hoping that he gets long term upside when the league, when the season is just getting so short. Yeah, absolutely. You got to really kind of compress your time frame for all of your strategies here and really start thinking about late March, early April. Exactly. It's all about those last few weeks of the season, unless you're in the midst of a playoff push. And let's get into it for those teams who are currently pushing for those playoff spots. We're going to start where the rest of the hockey media landscape is right now. Talking about the mammoth trade between Pittsburgh and Minnesota yesterday, when the the Alex Galchenyuk experiment in Pittsburgh officially ended. Galchenyuk off to Minnesota, along with Kalen Addison, and their 2021st in exchange for Jason Zucker. Both teams playing already tonight and both of the big names, Galchenyuk and Zucker, in the lineups. We have seen Zucker lining up with Hornquist and Crosby while that second line of Malkin, McCann, and Rust sticks together. No top power play for Jason Zucker, unfortunately, to start this one. Thoughts on Jason Zucker rest of season, Lewis? Are you rushing out to the waiver wire if you still can? So I think that he, you know, if you have a streamer spot, I think this is someone to stick in that streamer spot right away and maybe the kind of person that you hold on to depending on how he turns out. I know that Elon has talked a lot about, you know, we've seen plenty of people get traded over to Pittsburgh and not really do a whole lot with that time. Uh, so yes, he's right. He's absolutely uh, got a good point there. But, you know, uh, with each of these attempts, you know, it's a lottery ticket that you can scratch off. So if you can get Zucker for cheap, um, I wasn't able to pick him up in either of my main leagues, but I grabbed him in a league where Jade and I are working on a team together. Uh, so I'm hoping that he can uh, make some magic at even strength. And I wonder too, if the, you know, long-term uh, outlook, you know, he hasn't had a chance to practice with that power play yet. So that, that option may be available to him. Uh, although it's not like he's replacing Galchenyuk in that top power play unit or anything. So, you know, the spot may or may not be there for him. The only issue that I think with Zucker's chances of getting to that top unit is that I think they like Hornquist in that net front spot, and I think it's going to be tough to beat out a player who's been as productive as Brian Rust has been so far this year. So that's kind of who he's competing with, and it's going to be up to him to prove that he belongs to be there. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right, and I hope that he is able to take advantage of the opportunity. I think it would be exciting. A lot of people saying it was an overpay to pick him up, uh, but I love, you know, I love that kind of trade at this time of year. I like the teams that are willing to to get in there and go for broke, uh, and maybe sacrifice some some long term benefit for some short term shot at at winning a championship. I feel like more fantasy teams should be taking that route. Yeah, that's a great point. I think this is something that we should see in the regular NHL and that your fantasy league, you know, those perpetual rebuilds are stupid to me. You know, Caleb, Kalen Addison, we could see him turn into something and, you know, who knows what Minnesota does with that late first rounder, but both of those are unknown quantities. And if I own 
Crosby and Malkin on my team, I want to maximize that championship window. Uh, when it comes to Jason Zucker, we've seen him pace for about 50 points in Minnesota. No reason to see why he couldn't jump up in production moving from Eric Stahl's wing to Sidney Crosby. So I'm optimistic. I have him in a few spots, one by accident and then one because I ran out and grabbed him. I think that if you're looking at a waiver wire where it's a, a group full of 50 to 55 point players, he's the guy to grab from that group. But I'm not going crazy. I'm not dropping people who are, you know, on pace for 65 points. For example, Keeping Carlson had a Twitter question about dropping Brendan Gallagher for Jason Zucker. I would stop short of that. So that's sort of where the line is for me. Yeah, I'm glad you brought that one up because that I remember when I saw it come up seemed wild. I know people get really excited about that flavor of the week, but you got to be you got to be smart about who you're willing to to shift out. You know, there's got to be someone on that lineup who maybe is slumping a little more, or has less upside than Gallagher. And if you don't, then you don't have room, basically, is what it comes down to. Yeah, exactly. That's right. On the other side of this trade, of course, we see Alex Galchenyuk. He who scored 30 goals as a 20-year-old in Montreal and really has not lived up to the hype ever since, playing with Luke Kunin and Matt Zuccarello at even strength, and joins the both of them on an ugly second power play unit with Brad Hunt and Matt Dumba. Lewis, are you ready to be hurt by Alex Galchenyuk again? Uh, I think at this point in my fantasy hockey career, I am ready to let someone else take on this rebuilding project as Pittsburgh seemed to want to do uh, by dealing him off to Minnesota. He came out gangbusters early on in his career and just hasn't been able to recapture that magic. And we've seen it happen with other players in the past as well. Uh, So yeah, I think I will let someone else take that risk. Yeah, I'm also done with Galchenyuk for now. I mean, if we see him getting high minutes uh, playing with the Wild, they see we see a shuffling of the lines, then I could be interested if he ends up on a top line or a top power play unit, perhaps. But I would need to see sustained, solid deployment for a game or two before I even started to think about him as a possible watch list guy. There's not even anyone in Minnesota all that exciting right now outside of maybe Jared Spurgeon and Kevin Fiala, right? I think Kevin Fiala is the big one right now in Minnesota. That's right. That dude looks like a stud. And we will mention him again later on tonight. As I mentioned in our intro, we have a ton of injuries to talk about. And we are going to start at the very top of the league. We're going to talk about Connor McDavid, who was announced today is out two to three weeks with a quad injury. Any winners on the Oilers whatsoever when Connor McDavid goes down? No way. It's impossible to lose the best player in the world from your team and have it improve your situation. Uh, Especially because looking at the lines, it seems like they're keeping that uh, former second line of Dreisaitl, Ryan Nugent Hopkins, and Yamamoto together to become the first line. And everything after that just kind of looks like a nightmare. The line two, I guess, is Gagne, Gaten Haas, and Alex Chiesan. Uh, and then we have maybe line three, maybe it's line two, Josh Archibald, Riley Shan, and Zach Cassian. They're all line fours in Edmonton, Lewis. It's, I know, it's, it's, it's really tough to, to see. Um, I, I will say, Archibald, Shan, Cash in line, uh, put a goal on already, so good for them. But that's not something I would be counting on. And I'm actually worried about scoring in general in Edmonton just because all you have to do now is stack up your best defense against that top line of Dreisaitl, uh, Nugent Hopkins, and Yamamoto, and then play whoever you want under the rest. I, I'm, inter- I'm interested to see the uh, natural stat trick results after the game because I want to see if any of those lines can hold their own in terms of shot attempts. 
The one thing that I will say is this could be a nice bump for Yamamoto getting big minutes on a, what now becomes the obvious first line. Like you say, they're going to have to run Dreisaitl into the ground, and they're not afraid to do that. So those who are playing on a line with him stand to benefit. If Yamamoto sticks there and, you know, we could see Ryan Nugent Hopkins probably shake down to a line two just to give them some level of competency elsewhere in the roster. But the other thing is it opens up a spot on that power play. Perhaps Yamamoto fits the bill there more than any of their other forwards. So I could see him having a decent little bump becoming like a 55-point-ish player rest of season. You know, I've been touting Clefbaum as a buy low ahead of the trade deadline, but his stealing definitely drops as a result, although that should, you know, work itself out by the time the playoffs start because McDavid's timeline pretty much lines up with week 21. So hopefully he's back in time for your fantasy playoffs. But yeah, it's a bummer for that top unit in Edmonton, that's for sure. Yeah, I, uh, I'm disappointed because I just went out and uh, made a move to pick up RNH as part of a deal uh, to acquire uh, Ben Bishop. So I, I'm a little nervous. I guess I got two to three weeks. I'm going to make the playoffs in that league so uh, I can hang in there until McDavid gets back. Well, Lewis, we have about 15 other injuries, so I am going to stick at the center position and jump a few spots down in our show notes. I'm going to talk about Nazim Kadri. He's injured out for weeks, not days, according to the Avalanche today. We saw lines that showed Eunice Donskoy heading for power play one, and we saw JT Comfer skating for with Donskoy and Landeskog on line two, while Andre Burakovsky took that Landeskog spot on line one. I have to ask, Lewis, who listened to our podcast where I talked about trade deadline targets and immediately messed with Oscar Clefbaum and, and uh, Gabe Landeskog's fantasy value? Because I need to have a word with them. Well, it was the same issue that I had touting Kubalik and Wierenski uh, as potential sells. Kubalik completely fell off, uh, although I guess he did get a goal recently. Uh, and then Wierenski is going to, as we're going to note later, be elevated uh, in his future outlook. So, yeah, it was really tough. It seems like we were uh, driving the jinx down on some of these folks that we were talking about uh, in our buy and sells. Yeah, it's very, very frustrating to make what I consider to be a very good call and then have it just go like this, like, one game later. Well, yeah, that is the danger of making prognostications, which is kind of the business that we're in here, uh, is that sometimes you're just going to be wrong. Do you have any other takes on this Colorado team with the changes in their top six? I mean, it's it's definitely an upgrade for JT Comfer if you're in a league deep enough for him to be relevant to take over that second position. I like having him out there with Landeskog providing a, a secondary scoring line there. Um, and having Donskoy on PP1, I think anytime someone is on the top power play in Colorado, you should be paying attention to them because it is liable to go off. It hasn't been as good as you might expect uh, so far this season, but certainly has the potential for improvement. Uh, so yeah, I would I would keep half an eye out there on Donskoy as long as he is uh, holding on to that top power play position. I'm pretty met on JT Comfer. I just don't like we've seen him in similar positions, and I guess getting Landeskog on the wing is helpful. But just overall, I don't really see his ceiling getting much higher than 45 points. Uh, Donskoy and Burakovsky, those two those two wingers are the two who I'm most interested in. Be interesting to see if Donskoy can put anything together on the top power play unit because 
you know, Kadri being out a few weeks, that creates a very valuable position on that top unit. So if Donskoy can stick there, I could see him having a similar output as when he was on the top unit while while Rantanen and Landeskog were injured earlier in the year. Yeah, that was a great opportunity for him, and he was able to, to capitalize on it somewhat. And I think it would be really interesting to see if we can uh, continue to have him uh, be really productive for us fantasy-wise up there. All right. Well, let's let's jump over to Tampa Bay because we had one that we prepped for and then we had a couple more that are sort of in development in the moment as we are uh delving into it uh this this evening. Um so we saw Stamkos has been injured. He's out for the last couple games. So the beneficiaries from Stamkos's absence were Andre Palat moving up to line 1 and Tyler Johnson uh, getting a chance on that top power play. Uh, as we speak, they are knotted up with the Penguins heading to overtime 1-1, so not a whole lot of scoring being done this game for these folks to jump in on. Um, Stamkos is considered day-to-day with Thursday the 13th, the possibility for his return, so he may be back before you are next hearing short shifts. I would I would suggest maybe not going out and making any sort of big move here just because it seems like he could be back and those lines could be reshuffled any minute now. Yeah, I'm not really sure what to expect with Stamkos. Did, sorry, I was distracted by Twitter. Did you mention Sorelli and I Kucherov? I haven't talked about Sorelli and Kucherov yet. Okay, oh, I'll get into that now side. if that's okay. Yep. Yeah. Well, the, the scary thing in Tampa Bay is that in addition to the Stamkos injury where we do not have any sort of a time frame, we also saw Anthony Sorelli and Nikita Kucherov leave their game against the Pittsburgh Penguins in the first period. We don't know anything else at this point, just that they missed the rest of the game. Thoughts on what folks should do if they're hearing this tomorrow and there's still no timeline provided for Kucherov or Sorelli? I mean, it's also in flux, right? Because, you know, we don't know the extent of these injuries. I would, my, here's my suggestion. It is you should tune in to short shifts on Friday morning and see if we've got any additional information where we can update you because it's also up in the air right now. I would say the danger of making a move here is that you might grab someone and then they're shuffled down the lineup before they even play a game. Well, not just that, but you can also follow us on Twitter at AVG Time on Ice or the Keeping Carlson Boys at Keeping Carlson. Listen, uh, follow us on Twitter. We will definitely be following the injuries in Tampa Bay closely, and we will have that on our timeline as soon as information comes out. Guess what, Lewis? More injuries. We got more injuries to talk about. We're going to talk about a couple of defensive stalwarts. We're going to start in Montreal, where it was announced that Shea Weber is out indefinitely. Um, this has been the case for a few games now, so we've been able to at least see what the Habs are doing as a result. Why don't you get into that for us, Lewis? So with Weber, it's interesting because the extent of his injury is still unknown. Word is that we're waiting for lower body swelling to go down so that the injury can be fully assessed. Uh, that doesn't sound great to me. That sounds like the kind of injury, if it's been several games and the swelling isn't down enough to really take a look at it, uh, that strikes me as something that may be of concern for more than just the next week or so. Uh, the obvious beneficiary is not going to be available to you. It is Jeff Petrie, uh, who has been having an outstanding season, even when he has not been uh, you know, the, the number one defenseman the way that Weber is. We know that they've got kind of a split. Uh, power play situation, so they're both getting some opportunities uh, on the power play. But really, this 
puts Petrie in that number one position. Uh, enjoy his extended play. If you own him, he's been playing some monstrous minutes. Um, you might consider grabbing Ben Sherratt, who was brought up on the Sunday mega show. Uh, ben, Brian and Elon talked about him as a banger with some possible scoring thanks to his new deployment on that second power play. Um, but yeah, that's really all that, that comes out of that. Weber has been pretty slow lately anyway. Um, so his owners get a chance to park him on the bench. I'm sure they're not thrilled with it, but he has been, uh, pretty cold lately. Uh, so maybe when he does eventually make his way back, he can find his footing and, uh, really get going there. I'm really not that optimistic we're going to see Shea Weber back again this year, maybe for a week or two towards the end of the season. But just given the extent of his injuries recently and based on the rumors uh, around this injury, it doesn't seem like prognostication is very good for him. So I'm definitely, if I'm a Shea Weber owner, I'm not getting my hopes up that he's back soon. Jeff Petrie, though, at this point, are there 10 fantasy defensemen you'd take ahead of him in a bangers league? I can't. I can't think of any. I spent the whole weekend trying to trade for him as part of a deal uh, with some folks who I thought maybe, you know, liked him, but didn't think of him as kind of a big name uh, with no luck whatsoever. They just uh, rebuffed every attempt. So I think people are on to it. I think they're really enjoying having him. Uh, one of the real surprises of the season, I think, I know we saw him do some quality things uh, last year, but not, you know, it didn't, didn't quite reach uh, the heights that he's been. Uh, in this 2019-20 season. So great job, Jeff Petrie. Prior to Van Arbor, having an outstanding season and uh, is likely to be someone who next year people are after to try and draft. Yeah, I think that he basically represents a huge value at this point. If you have him, hold on to him, especially in bangers leagues. If you can get him for cheap, good Lord, go out and do that while you can. Uh, we have one more defensive injury. Of course we do, because there's always going to be one more. And that's Seth Jones in Columbus. Ankle surgery, 8 to 10 weeks. I mean, at this point, you've got to be dropping Seth Jones in a one-year league. Yep, absolutely. He is no longer fantasy relevant for you. So unless you're planning on keeping him, he should be hitting the waiver wire. The obvious beneficiary here is Zach Wierenski, who I told you to trade last week. Uh, hopefully that didn't happen because he is going to be seeing some monstrous minutes here. I joked before that I, I told you to sell Wierenski last week. I sold my Apple stock in 1999 too, so it's not the first time that I have uh, really uh, missed an opportunity to hang on and have something turn out really well for us. So it doesn't change a whole lot in Columbus, except maybe you got to be a little more worried about your guy, uh... Elvis Merz-Lickens or whoever is playing goal, they're going to be losing that chance to uh, have another stellar defenseman out there in front of them. But besides that, I think just transfer whatever you expected Jones to do to Wierenski, which he was kind of doing anyway. I'm just now picturing a 12-year-old Lewis uh, opening the stock pages and watching Apple continue to soar right after he uh, he made this terrible sell. If you can indulge me for a moment, I did, you know, I think I knew I was going to be a, a fantasy sports player early in my career because I used to call up the Hallmark stores around town so I could buy up Beanie Babies for five bucks a piece and then advertise them in the Saturday free classifieds for 50 bucks a piece. Uh, and I sold a good number of them. I really profited. I ended up with a big box of leftovers, but, uh, yeah, little, little entrepreneur, uh, made some real spending cash back in the day. I never knew you were a Beanie Baby Shark. That's very interesting, but it says a lot about you as a fantasy player. I think it is quite revealing, yes. That's why I love to trade. 
Thankfully, Lewis, among all of these injuries, we do have one outry to talk about. Anthony Mantha finally returns from a broken rib and a punctured lung. He started the game with Darren Helm and Dylan Larkin because, of course, you know, nothing gold can happen in Detroit. You have to have Darren Helm involved on the top line. And then that top power play unit basically doesn't miss a step. You have Athanasiu, Mantha, Larkin, Bertuzzi, and Hironic. Obviously a bummer to see Bertuzzi down with Athanasiu and Luke Glendening. Yuck. Uh, thoughts on your terrible Red Wings? My terrible, lovely Red Wings. So, um, you know, I, it's definitely good to have him back. Mantha assisted on a couple goals here on Tuesday night, so good for him. He uh, can take over that spot where Robbie Fabry was injured late last week, uh, as Brian and Elon discussed on the Sunday show. Uh, Fabry may have been booted from the top power play anyhow with Mantha's return, but it also could have been Tyler Bertuzzi. So in the limited scoring that the Red Wings are going to do, and every team is going to get some scoring, no matter how putrid they are, I think Mantha is going to play a big role in it. He obviously did tonight with 100% IPP. Uh, so good on him. Uh, love to see him out there, uh, you know, get working back into game shape. I, From a personal standpoint, I'm hoping the Red Wings don't go on another, you know, nine-game winning streak like they did last year to really screw up their odds at getting a, a high-quality draft pick. Um, but other than that, you know, Mantha returning is great for the Mantha owners. I think it's pretty good for the Larkin owners, too. Beyond that, I don't think there's a whole lot of benefit. Yeah, I'm with you there. I'm not getting overly excited. I actually am moderately nervous about Mantha just catching whatever it is that the rest of the Red Wings have. So I wouldn't be totally against trying to sell high on the hype of Mantha's return. See what you can dig up. If you can get a player who is roughly performing around you know, 65 to 70 points with peripherals, I wouldn't be against that for Mantha. Yeah, that's not a bad idea, just because there is going to be some excitement now that he's back. He obviously hit the ground running, which is going to keep his value up. But, you know, looking at the Red Wings down the stretch, what are they really going to be accomplishing offensively? Um, I think it's going to be really tough for them to find much in the way of success. Uh, so, you know, it's really your call. He He's never going to hurt for deployment. Uh, he's going to get the best minutes available, but you know he might have Darren Helm off on one of his wings. It's kind of a, uh, uh, it's kind of an Edmonton situation where there's just not enough. There's not enough to go around on the wings sometimes. Lewis, we have talked about injuries for about 25 minutes now. What do you say before we get out of here? We talk about a few players who could maybe replace the players who are now heading to IR for folks. Yeah, so this isn't exactly an ad drop segment like we do sometimes on these Tuesday shows, but this is more a uh, next man up situation for folks who have holes along the lines and need reinforcements. So we've got some options here uh, who are anywhere from, you know, around 50% owned in Yahoo leagues uh, to, you know, some folks who are way down in the ownership level. So depending on whether you have a shallow or a deep league, hopefully we can find someone who suits your needs. Yeah, exactly. I think, first of all, I think it's important to say that you noticed that Oliver Bjorkstrand is under 40% owned, and that's way too low. So definitely if Bjorkstrand is available, you have a roster spot, grab him. I think the other big one for me is mentioning Jason Zucker after the trade. I think that if you're in that sort of 40% ownership field, that Jason Zucker is by far the best option available. Yeah, I think some of these, you know, somewhat 
we might have some of these numbers being affected a little bit by some idle leagues where people are not really active and picking up some of these more interesting players, but there's shallow ones out there too. And so we want to make sure we're giving advice that's going to be helpful for your league, regardless of how deep or shallow it is. Um, so my first one, unfortunately, uh, just got knocked out of the game today, so I'll try and be brief with it. But Anthony Sorelli was 35% owned. He had that quality deployment with Stamkos out and likely beyond. Brian and Elon mentioned him as the only bolts forward to hold aside from the big three of Point, Kucherov, and Stamkos. Uh, so certainly an interesting option, a guy who's been picking up a lot of points. Hopefully his entry is not too severe. Yeah, I'm also into, as mentioned earlier, Ben Sherrod. He's 22% owned. I like that power play time with no Weber. Also mentioned by Brian and Elon on the show, so I, I'm not going to go in too deep with him, but uh, that's a player that I would be trying to add if I have a defensive hole. Another guy that I like right now, and he almost got injured tonight, but has been returned after clearing the concussion protocol. Igor Shosturkin, under 35% owned. He is playing tonight, and so he was a better ad, you know, this morning or yesterday. I apologize we do the shows on Tuesday nights. But there is a back-to-back middle of the week that I would imagine he gets a start on. And then I could also see him coming into the Sunday night game. So Shosturkin could represent two starts for you later on this week if you're looking for a goalie. Yeah, absolutely. And in fact, you can join me on Team IS, which again, I have always been on and has always stood for. Igor Shesterkin. My next guy up is a defenseman as well. So Chirac came up. This guy is owned in about twice as many leagues, but uh, could be really interesting. We've sort of been following the roller coaster that is life with Eric Gustafsson, uh, who has been ice cold, but he is on a hot run right now. Seven points in the last seven games, not counting Tuesday night's game. Uh, he hasn't had anything in the last couple outings, but he's definitely been an interesting uh, person to consider. Uh, and then another defenseman who is a little less owned, but certainly should be climbing up is Jacob Chikrin, who's really been on fire lately. I believe he has a point here on Tuesday night. Only 20% owned, uh, had points in four straight coming into Tuesday night, and I believe he does have that point, so that should be f- uh, points in five straight. Uh, 16 shots over the last four games and getting power play two deployment with Kessel and Keller. Not bad for a power play two, I think. A lot of defensemen are on much worse and much less deployed power play two. So uh, that would be one I would be interested in as well. Yeah, I mean, in addition to your Eric Gustafson comment, getting a ton of power play time with the Hawks right now. So it's nice to see him back in that spot. Maybe he can rekindle some of that fire from last year. Still only pacing for 38 points on the year. So he has a long way to go to kind of get back to last year's highs. But You know, he's in an interesting spot right now. I'm with you on that one. Um, The other players that I'll mention, I am interested to see the Leafs switch up their lines with Nylander back today. They had a top line with Marner, Matthews, and Nylander, which put Alexander Kerfoot with Tavares and Hyman. Hyman scored twice. So I'm interested to see what Kerfoot can do in that spot. He might be worth a look if you have space for a winger. I've got a few more folks to consider at 25% or less ownership. Um, Paul Stastny was somebody who uh, I just finished up the Sunday mega podcast today myself, but that was someone that Brian and Elon brought up. He's been on a great run, uh, with 10 points in the last eight games, uh, no points so far tonight, which is a fate shared by all of the Vegas Golden Knights, at least as of the time of this recording. Um, William Carlson's return is going to probably, uh, seems like it will eventually bump either Stastny or 
Chandler Stevenson to the bottom six, but that hasn't seemed to happen yet. Uh, at least the initial reporting on the lines with Carlson's return had him as the third line center. I don't imagine that's going to last too long, uh, especially if Vegas is unable to score in this game. Uh, you know, Elon said, why, you know, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. But uh, it does seem like that offense has hit a bit of a lull here, so we might see the lines shake up a little bit. So just keep an eye on Stastny and Stevenson, and if they can weather the storm and hang out in the top six with Carlson's return, that's a really appealing position. Uh, another player mentioned earlier, I like Donskoy and Burakovsky where they are. One injury we didn't get to today, Evgeny Kuznetsov is day-to-day right now, and Lars Eller looks ready to hop into that second-line center spot. So I like uh, Lars Eller right now as a possible stream for the rest of the week. Yeah, you know, he's been able to be very productive in spurts here. Obviously, anybody on Washington seems like they could be uh, stumbling their way into some points here and there. So Eller is definitely an interesting one that uh, I'm considering for uh, maybe tossing a fat bit on this evening. Uh, a couple more defensemen just to wrap things up. Uh, Damon Severson is 18% owned. He has had points in six straight coming into Tuesday night's game. He is playing monster minutes, uh, scraping up against 30 minutes uh, some of these nights here, uh, and has played the last stretch on Power Play 1 in New Jersey. Ben, I believe you dropped P.K. Subban to pick up Severson. Uh, I think that's the right move, and Brian did too, right? Yeah, that's right. I'm very happy to have Severson right now. He's been hot. And one more to think about, Nate Schmidt, only 8% owned, 8 points in the last 8 games, 18 shots during that time. Uh, He is definitely a nice, super deep option, especially if your league does not count power play points uh, with any bonus, because with Shea Theodore firmly entrenched in there, finally, uh, he is not getting a sniff of them on the power play. All right, Lewis, that's all we had for tonight. For myself, Ben Burnett, I'm out of here. Why don't you sign us off? All right, folks. Well, thank you, as always, for tuning in. Ben mentioned it before, but please give us a follow at AVG Time on Ice. Uh, Brian and Elon at Keeping Carlson. Thanks, as always, to the variety of sites that we use to research our episode, uh, especially today with all of these injuries. Roto-Wire, Roto-World, Left Wing Lock, and Daily Faceoff. Uh, as well as all of the wonderful beat writers who are uh, tweeting all the useful information that we're using to figure out who was fitting in where and who might be some good grabs. Uh, Thanks, of course, to Yahoo and Fantrax as well. Uh, Yahoo especially for giving us those percent owns. Uh, I hope that your team has not been decimated by injury and that it is hanging in there. And until we see you next time, play smart and keep your shifts short.